Well, Merry Christmas. I am glad you guys are here. Whoa, it's coming back. No, just say no. Hey, I'm really glad you guys are with us today. My name is Kurt Boom, and I have the honor of being the senior pastor. And as Matt mentioned, we're going to take a look at family. And, you know, we all have different degrees of dysfunctionality. Uh, maybe yours is fairly normal. That's okay. But today we're going to take a look at how to survive family with the, the holidays coming up. You know, a woman came to me, and she was in her 30s. Um, this is quite a few years ago. She said, you know, beginning with Thanksgiving all the way through New Year's Day, I'm anxious, depressed, stressed out. She said, I have all these family things. I feel like I have to go Thanksgiving Day, and I got to do Christmas dinner, and I got to go New Year's Day to watch the Ducks play this year. Yeah. But yeah, I've, you know, I, I've got all these things I've got to do with my family. She said, it just stresses me out. I said, I'm so sorry. And she said, yeah. She said, I have to take two Valium just to survive. And I said, well, how can I pray for you? And she said, well, pray I don't kill them. And she was sort of serious. I said, okay, I'll pray that you don't take out your family. You know, some of you have well-adjusted, amazing family members, and, and I really am happy for you. I hate you, but I'm happy for you. <laughs> now, the rest of us may, at least at times, in some ways, actually dread the holidays because our clan is the poster family for dysfunctionality. In fact, maybe your family looks a little like this. Oh, the joy of family. Crazy Uncle Eddie, who always does something a little weird. Dad, who maybe gets a little plastered, a little crazy, embarrassing. Mom, who drives everybody crazy with her OCD perfectionism. And then the kids, the dear little rugrats, bouncing off the walls, high on a, you know, sugar and adrenaline and just going crazy. And so you know that's what's going to happen, and then you come uh, with anticipation of a nightmare, and so you self-medicate in preparation for a migraine. And I know that's what some of you face. Now, it ought to be a wonderful time with a wonderful life, with a wonderful family, over a wonderful holiday, but what it turns out to be is a wonderful mess. And that's true for a lot of us. And again, maybe it's not quite that bad. I hope not. But at some level, there's usually at least one person in the family that uh, can or often does push our buttons. Now, before we go any further, because I want you to relax a little bit, let me just give you a couple truths, okay? Here's the first truth. There's no such thing as the perfect family. Absolutely not. Uh, no one has a absolutely 100% perfect family. It's, they don't exist. The modern family is typically pretty messed up. So we need to just relax a little bit and understand that we're in good company. The second truth is, and this is a, another reality that's not easy to accept, but it is true, that our deepest wounds often come from our family. That the people that are closest to us are sometimes the ones who can hurt us the most. So our challenge, if that's truth, and it is, then our challenge is to figure out now, in advance, some ways to survive the holidays with our family without killing anybody. And I'm going to give you three things that I want to encourage you to do, and I promise you, you do these, uh, it'll make a difference in your family this year. Here's the first thing I want to encourage you to do. Ch change your expectations. Change your expectations. In my humble opinion, at the heart of every conflict and disappointment is an unmet expectation. Might be a realistic one, might be an unrealistic one. But you think about the last fight you had, hopefully it's not with the person sitting next to you, but the last fight or conflict you had, I'd be willing to bet you money that at the heart of that was an unmet expectation, unmet needs. Something didn't happen that you expected it to happen or something did that you didn't expect to take place. We want something, we need something, we hope for something. And when that something doesn't happen, we either get depressed or we get really ticked off. Interesting to me that the Bible actually addresses this issue. In James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? 
Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have. So you kill. Now, maybe not physically, but emotionally. You kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James goes to the very heart of this issue. He says, you want something. You have a desire, an unmet expectation. And so when we go there, we get frustrated. We fight, we quarrel, we covet, we may even kill. And so here's something I want to just, again, dial up for you. Here's part of the problem. We know our family is broken. You know that such and such, that person, so-and-so in your family is not healthy, not whole. And yet every year we go expecting things to be different. Now, I want to be clear about something else. I do believe that God can change any family and any person. I personally have experienced that. I am not saying there's no hope. I've seen God work his transforming power in lives. If I didn't believe that God could change people and change families, that I'm so in the wrong business. I believe that by God's grace and help that we can experience a radical transformation. But, this is an important but, often some choose not to change. And even for those who do, change is often more a process than it is an event. Now, I love it when the miraculous happens and boom, somebody just changes overnight. Families just radically have this altering 24-hour miraculous thing that happens in their life or in their family. And I love it when I see that happen. But more often than not, think about it. More often than not, it's a process. Change is more often a process than just an event that takes place in our lives, and that takes time. And so my suggestion is this morning that you go into your family experiences hoping, praying, believing for something better for change, but I also want to suggest that you set realistic expectations right now for your family gathering, because your family may look like this family. Yeah. Now what's scary is some of you don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, some of you from North Idaho think that's a perfectly normal picture. <laughs> Oops, sorry, I didn't mean to throw the North Idaho people on the... But anyhow, that's not normal, and some of us may have families just like that, and, and we have to back up and set some realistic expectations. Now, I'm not encouraging fatalism or defeatism, but realism. Pray and believe for the best, but prepare for the worst. Pray, believe, hope that things will change, but prepare for the worst. Come mentally emotionally and spiritually prepared for whatever may happen. Change, adjust your expectations. Here's the second thing you can do. Change your focus. Change your focus, as hard as this is to hear at times, and it is hard to hear, life is not all about you or me. It's all about us. And again, if we make it all about us and our needs, then I promise you, you're set up for failure. If you make whatever is going on in your life all about you, then you're gonna have frustration, you're gonna be disappointed, because you're not that good either. When we have unmet expectations that are not met in a manner or time that we want, we can become very grumpy, and I become like this guy right here. Anybody recognize him? See, the truth is, to the degree that I experience grumpiness, it's always connected, directly connected to the measure of selfishness in my life. And I'll be honest with you, when I get really, really grumpy and really, really unhappy and not fun to be around, almost always, I can trace that back to some selfishness, some me focus in my life. But when I take my eyes off of me and I place them on the one who never changes and who provides what I need, when I place them on the people around me to help them, to serve them, then things get a lot better. 
Now, one of my primary love languages is words of affirmation. Uh, years ago, a guy wrote a book about the five love languages. How many of you read that book, just out of curiosity? Yeah, a lot. Very popular, best-selling book. And, and uh, five different primary love languages are described. And if you haven't read it, pick it up sometime. But basically, the suggestion is that one of these, maybe two are the top one or two ways that you are loved, you feel loved. If you love to get gifts, and your, your best way to be loved by someone is these tokens of appreciation, then that's, that's the way that you feel loved. For me, it's words of affirmation. And I love it when, when I'm affirmed, people say kind things to me. I get notes from time to time, and I keep them. I've got a file this big of notes that have been written to me or things that have been sent to me saying, hey, I just love you, appreciate you, value you. Those are important. They, they make a difference, and it's my love language. Now, I'm, and by the way, I'm not fishy for compliments. That's okay. And I'm not telling you there's, a, I don't think that's narcissistic. That's just the way I'm wired. My primary love language is to have someone say, hey, I appreciate you. And by the way, when I get ugly notes, I burn them. I don't keep those. I just throw them away. I don't keep them at all. Why? Well, because my love language are words of affirmation. It's the way I'm wired. But if I get irritated when I don't receive them, then perhaps it's because I've become self-centered and selfish. And on a regular basis, I have to remind myself, it's nice to be loved. Isn't it nice to be loved? Three of you love being loved. The rest of you, yeah, it's nice to be loved. We love getting loved. But it's not about me. It's not about you. It never has been and never will be. Now, I know that some of you think, well, wait a minute. I've got legitimate rights. Yes, you do. And you may have legitimate rights and reasonable needs and expectations. And we may have a right to some things. I'm not denying that. But I am telling you, I'm promising you this. The path to peace in your family is often the path where you choose to stop focusing on you and you start focusing on them. We need to learn to live with humble deference to others, which, by the way, is the way Jesus lived. Paul wrote this amazing passage in Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read just a few verses, uh, Philippians 2, 3 through 7. But here's the admonition. Paul says, do nothing, nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, so he's not denying you have interests or needs, but also to the interest of others. And here's where Paul really sets this up with a word picture that's undeniable. He said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself absolutely nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. James excuse me, Paul wrote here in Philippians saying that instead of grasping for his rights, Jesus let go. He made himself nothing, in fact, a servant. He tirelessly and selflessly served others. And we see that in his life over and over and over again. He was God in the flesh. He deserved to be treated like royalty. I was watching some of the news accounts this last week of Kate and William in New York and how much, you know, Americans go crazy over them and treated well. And for good reason, that's okay. Jesus, of all People that ever walked on this planet deserved that most of all because he was God. But instead, it says he served others. He served. What might happen? Here's a crazy idea. What might happen if you intentionally looked for and found ways to serve your family this year? Even the most broken, dysfunctional member of your family. What might happen if you do for them what you want them to do for you? Jesus said something in Luke chapter 6. We commonly refer to it as the golden rule. And I want to read it to you from Luke 6, 31. Jesus said, do to others as you would have them do to you. 
Do unto others as you would have them do for you. Do you understand the power, the relational power in this verse, in this, this statement that Jesus made? I mean, everything he said is absolutely important, absolutely critical. All of Jesus' words are, are incredibly important to us. But when I think about the relational impact of just this phrase, it blows my mind. Because if everyone in our world practiced this all the time, we wouldn't have wars, we wouldn't have fights, we wouldn't have thievery, we would have utopia. Now, it's never going to happen on this planet, on this side of eternity. But Jesus said, here's the challenge, and he's speaking to his disciples. So he's challenging the church, do for others what you want them to do for you. It's not just about you. In fact, I want you to love people and to do what you want. So I'm gonna, I don't want to be thrown under a bus. I'm not going to throw them under a bus. I don't want to be cheated, so I'm not going to cheat them. I don't want to be beat up, so I'm not going to beat them up. I don't want to be blown up, so I'm not going to blow them up. I'm not going to be mean to them because I don't want them to be mean to me. It radically changes the way we relate to everyone. And the call as Christ followers is, I want you to go and to do for others what you want them to do for you. Kindness, love, humble service, being good to and blessing your family, even the messed up part of your family. That's our call. And my question to you today is, what would change in your family gatherings if you change your focus, where in humility you considered others better than yourself, where you did nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? And in fact, what would happen if you did for them what you want them to do for you? Change your expectations. Change your focus. Here's one more thing we need to do. Number three, the third challenge is change your heart. Change your heart. And by that I mean let go of bitterness and forgive from your heart in advance. And what's important here is I think we need to do that long before we have to. We do it in advance. Forgiveness is this huge topic. I've taught on it before. I'll teach on it again. It's at the heart of our relationship with God. It's at, critical to all our relationships with people. And it is a topic that deserves an entire message by itself. But I want to just remind you of a few things. And the first thing I need to say about forgiveness, let's just own this. It's hard. It's really hard. I know something, oh man, I'm just so sick and tired of preachers telling me to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. And you don't know what I've been through. I've been so hurt. I understand. Because I know it's hard too. I understand how difficult this is. And again, I said it earlier, some of our deepest wounds come from family. That person, that, that, that guy, that gal, that mom, that dad, that kid, the one that you have high hopes and expectations from and, and you expect so much, they wound you, they let you down. I get that. And it's really hard to forgive. I, I get that. But I also know this, that God put us into families, especially into families, to teach us how to walk and to live in forgiveness, to teach us how to get really good at this. It's the best place for you to learn how to forgive. And, and that was by God's design. I have two uh, younger brothers and a baby sister in my life. And uh, my youngest brother, Craig, and I are close today. We love each other a lot. We're, we're, we're friends. We're, we're great. But growing up, uh, Craig and I used to get into it all the time. Long before they used the phrase latchkey kids, we were latchkey kids. My mom and dad both worked. Uh, we get home from school. And this is back, you know, in the dark ages when... People were left alone and things, you know, it's, it was a different world. But we get up from school and I was in charge. For an hour and a half, two hours, every day, I was in charge. I'm the oldest. So I had, to, I had responsibility and my folks always gave us chores to do and told us, you know, homework to get done and things we had to blah, 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 take care of. But I was the guy that was responsible for my two younger brothers and my baby sister. And I'm here to tell you, my little brother Craig, he hated that fact. 
He absolutely hated the fact that I was the one telling him what to do, and, that, and uh, frankly, I was pushy bossy, and I rubbed it in his face. Hey, I'm in charge. You will obey me. And it's like, no way. And we would have on a regular basis, I mean all the time, knock down, drag out fights, ugly fights. Think about the worst fight you've seen with your kids and multiply by 10. I mean, my brother and I were just mean. And he was, uh, he was always smaller than me, still is, but ornery and tough. And we would get into it. And I'll never forget, one night my parents were off doing something, left me in charge as they always did. And I don't know, I'm maybe 11 or 12 years old. So my brother's like eight or nine. And we get into it. And we are rumbling in the, the living room. Furniture's flying. We're all over the place. I'm throwing fist punches at him. He's throwing at me. Then we end up drifting to the kitchen. And I still remember it was this counter right there, you know, between the kitchen and the living room. And sitting on the counter was a glass bottle, shampoo, dog shampoo bottle. Back when they actually used glass for things instead of plastic. They didn't have plastic back when I was a kid. So they, they went, and I could just see it. It's this like, I, it, I still remember this, this thought. No! As Craig grabbed this bottle and just chucked it at me as hard as he could. I still have, you come look, I'll show you later, a scar over this eye from him. And I'm, you know what head wounds do? They bleed a lot. So my brother chucks this thing at me. My eye is bleeding. I can't even see out of my right eye. And we are going at it. And finally, I'm on top of him, and I'm just pounding it. Boom, 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 boom. Dysfunctional, I'm telling you, it was broken. I'm messed up, and I'm hurting him big time. And then my dad walks in. My dad was a no-nonsense, strict disciplinarian. And he didn't even want to know what happened. He just said, all of you. And my, my other brother, Kevin, who was and always has been a pacifist, just kind of observed, smiling. And my sister, Kim, who was terrified, he said, all four of you, you're in the bedroom now. And what that meant was we were all going to get a whooping, and we did. He didn't want to know who caused what. He didn't care. All of you in the bedroom now, you're all getting a whooping. And we did. I'm telling you, it was, I had so many opportunities, and so did my brother, to forgive. But that's where we learn it best in our families. By God's design. He forces us to face some things. And I'm telling you, family forces us to deal with our selfishness and our pride over and over again. Think about it. Yeah, it does. And I think that's by God's intent. Family always provides lots of opportunity to forgive and to be forgiven. It's hard, but it's good. Here's the second thing about forgiveness. You'll never learn to walk in a lifestyle of forgiveness. And by that, practice it on a regular basis, every day, day in and day out, until you realize and remember how much you've been forgiven. You never will. You know, if you're investigating Christianity today, I I'm so glad you're here. This is a safe place for you to discover grace. And we, we just, we're glad you're here. And we want you to investigate and we'll answer our questions, any questions as best as we can. But one of the things you're going to hear consistently is we need to be forgiven. We need to be forgiven from God. We've failed. We've sinned. We've blown it. We need his forgiveness. And out of the forgiveness we experience in him, that's where we are empowered to forgive others. Here's how Paul put in Colossians 3, 12 through 14. He says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. And I love the fact that he's identifying who we are. He's, he's, he's saying, don't forget who you are. You're God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. He says, because of that, clothe yourselves with compassion. Clothe, meaning put on. The word picture is, I, I get dressed in this. You get dressed every day. You make a choice. Some of you lay your clothes out the night before because you're really organized and anal and crazy. But you put it all out there and you get ready. Some of you get in the morning and you just grab them wherever you can. If it smells clean, you put it on. But the purpose, is, but you intentionally choose 
You make a choice to clothe yourself. And Paul is using this incredible phrase, clothe yourself. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He said, I know that's, that's something you have to decide to do. And then verse 13, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And there's no wiggle room in this. We think, well, yeah, but. No, Paul says, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And then he brings it home with this phrase, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Wow. And again, as Christ followers, we know we've experienced that forgiveness of God. And Paul said, forgive as God forgave you. And then over all these things, all, over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. You see, I think it's very difficult, if not impossible, to forgive in a vacuum. We have to experience it. We have to know it. I forgive as I have been forgiven. And again, my point here is that we choose. We choose to forgive. Think, well, I don't feel like it. I understand. Well, I don't want to. Believe me, I, I know. It's hard. But we make the choice. We choose to forgive whatever grievances we have with our family because, simply because, God has forgiven us. You choose to pass on mercy and grace and kindness and goodness because that's exactly what God has done for you. Now, I know sometimes people go, well, does that mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll ever forget what happened. I don't think you will either. On this side of eternity, especially when it's connected to an emotional pain, we humans are wired in a way that we just, I don't think we'll ever forget. And I'm not suggesting that you just sweep it under a rug and ignore it. I'm not suggesting you pretend like it never happened. Not for a second am I suggesting you just slap a happy face on your past, your wounds, and just, just keep going. What I am suggesting is that you choose to forgive. And let me give you a definition. In fact, I'm going to leave this on the screen. Some of you need to write this down because it's a definition I want you to remember. Here's Kurt Boomer's definition of forgiveness, but it's right from the Word of God. To forgive is to let someone go from your personal judgment. It is to let go of our bitterness and our hatred. Notice here the consistent thing. It's letting go. The word forgiveness means to untie, to untie the knot. We let go someone from our personal judgment. We let go of our bitterness and hatred. It is to release or let go, to let them go from our right for revenge and our demand for payback. And if you think that's easy, you're not listening. This is extremely hard, but this is the biblical definition of forgiveness. To forgive is to let someone go. And instead of bitterness and anger and our demand for revenge, we clothe ourselves. We put on these things that make us look more like Jesus. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We love and treat others the way God has loved and treated us. And so let me be clear, forgiveness is an act of our will where we decide to let go and to let God. And I said earlier that I want to challenge you to do that in advance because I, here's what I know. If you decide to do that now, it's going to profoundly impact what happens when you cross that intersection of offense. When your dad does that thing you dread, when your mom acts that way that just pushes every button in you. When your siblings just go there and it's just like, oh, how many times? I just, just. When, that, when you decide now, in advance, to send forgiveness ahead of you, to in advance make the choice that when we cross that intersection of offense, I've already forgiven them. I'm telling you, it's powerful. 
and it will help you. Now here's the good news. God says choose, and here's, here's the beauty in this. Every time we make the right choice, God empowers us to do what he calls us to do. I am not saying just suck it up, just, get, just dig deeper. Here's the beauty. We choose, God empowers. We make the right choice. We say yes. We surrender our right for revenge and retribution. We surrender. We say yes to God, and God empowers us to do what he calls us to do. We decide. And I want to encourage you to decide in advance to forgive them now. Forgive them now for what they're likely to do soon. Forgive them now for what they did weeks, months, years, decades ago. And fix your eyes on Jesus and what he has done for you. Change your expectations. Change your focus. It's not about you. And choose to live for others. And then change your heart. Ask God to fill you with the power to, to, to walk in a lifestyle of forgiveness. One last story I want to share, and then I'll be done. I'll pray for you. Years ago, I had a friend. Her name was Barb. And when I met Barb, she was in her late 20s and early 30s. And she was an amazing woman. I mean, I, you would look at Barb and go, wow, what a great, godly, amazing, gifted woman. You, you would not know anything about the brokenness of her past. But I love hearing people's story. One of the things I just love to do, I'm a storyteller, and I love to hear people's story, and I ask people all the time, hey, tell me your story. Tell me how you found Jesus. Tell me what happened. You know, tell me how you ended up where you're at here. And I said to Barb one day, I said, tell me your story. And she smiled and said, I'm not sure you want to hear it. I said, oh, no, I really do. She said, well, it's kind of tragic. I said, well, it has a happy ending, right? Yeah. Okay, tell me. Well, she started with when I was uh, 11 years old. So I was sexually abused by my uncle. And, I, and I, again, this is not a happy story at the beginning, but it has a happy ending. She said, I was sexually abused by my uncle. And she said, it, it crushed me. And she said, and then I, I realized, I, I came to know that my mom had been sexually abused by her brother. So my mom knew that her brother, my uncle, was a sex offender. She let him into my life. I find out later that my dad knew, and so I hated my parents for letting this happen to me. She said, I hated my family. She said, Frankly, I hated God. God, how could you let this happen? And she's, she's this young girl, and she goes through this incredible, painful experience, and it messed her up. I mean, she goes through her high school, junior high school years, completely wild, crazy, messed up, barely graduated from high school, tried to go to a semester at a community college and just dropped out, couldn't do it, ends up working at a restaurant somewhere, and she's one messed up young woman, 23 years of age. She's working with uh, another waitress who is a Jesus follower, loves Jesus, and gets to know Barb and begins to reach out to Barb. And at first, when Barb found out that this, this friend was a Christian, I don't have anything to do with it. Nope, nope. But this friend just kept pressing and kept loving her, inviting her to church. Nope, nope. Remember, she hated God. No, no way. I hate God. He's, you know, he's ultimately responsible for all this evil in my life. But eventually, and it's another whole long story, which would take too long to tell, Barb came to church, and she came to Jesus, and ended up having this incredible encounter of grace with God. And it brought some wholeness and over years healing into her life. Well, she says, after I, you know, 23, make the decision to become a Christ follower, she said Christmas was a few months later. She said, I'm on my way, driving on my way to my parents' house, and I'm dreading it. I don't want to go. I don't want to see them. I still have all sorts of attitude and, and hatred and bitterness in my heart towards them. And I'm driving down the road, and I'm just complaining and getting really grumpy about it. And she says, it's all of a sudden like God showed up riding shotgun in my car. She said, the Holy Spirit just whispered to me, will you forgive them as I have forgiven you? And she said, honestly, my first reaction was, 
H-E double toothpicks? No. Nope. But the Holy Spirit said, will you forgive your mom and your dad as I have forgiven you? And then she flashed back to all of her sin, all of what she had done that God had freely forgiven her of. And she said, I started a week. In fact, I started crying so hard, I pulled off the side of the road, couldn't drive. I sat there for 10 or 15 minutes, sobbing, weak, weeping, just shaking the whole car, snot all over the steering wheel. She said, it was just a mess. She said, but I finally came to this place where I said, yes, God, I will forgive them as you have forgiven me. Got going, went home to her family. She said, and she said, honestly, my family was still messed up. It wasn't as if they had this radical encounter with God and everything changed in them. But here's what she said. But she said, but Kurt, she said, everything changed in me. I was free because I let them free. I was healed because I let them go of my personal judgment. That's where we have a change of heart where we forgive as we've been forgiven. Bow your heads, let me pray for you. Father, I know that for many of us, um, family is awesome. We love it. We're excited about spending time with our family, and that's, that's really cool. But even in those families, there typically is one or two people, Lord, that we worry about that have a history of pushing our buttons. And then, Lord, there's a bunch of us uh, where our family is anything but cool, and we really have dreaded this season of the year. And I ask you, I ask you, Lord, to work in our hearts right now in a way that only you can, Holy Spirit. In fact, would you keep your head bowed and your eyes closed? I'm going to ask you to make a choice right now. If you're a Christ follower, if you've been forgiven, I'm going to ask you right now to, to make a choice in your heart to forgive them. I'm sure you've already flashed back to a painful experience, maybe recent, maybe decades ago. But right now, I'm going to ask you to make the choice to forgive as you've been forgiven. You think, well, I don't feel like it. That's not the issue. The issue is, will you choose? Feelings will come. But we make the choice to do the right thing, to honor what God has done for us. And I want to encourage you right now, forgive as you have been forgiven. Make the choice to say, Father, okay, I'm going to let my dad go of my judgment, of my right for revenge. I'm going to let my mom go. I'm going to forgive my brother. I'm going to forgive my child. I'm going to forgive right now. Make that choice. It will set you free. It may or may not change them. I believe it opens the door for changing their life, but I promise you it will set you free if you make that choice right now. Choose. Say, yes, Lord, I do. I surrender. Maybe it's something that you've experienced and it's, it's been a long time. I'm still going to ask you to, and maybe that person's even no longer here. They passed away years ago. It's important for you to make the choice to forgive, to let it go. And now I want you to think about, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, as you're together with your family, would you right now send forgiveness ahead of you? Would you choose right now? Say, okay, Lord, high probability, though I'm going to believe for the best that something's going to go sideways. And right here, right now, I choose in advance to forgive. Before I even cross that intersection of offense, right now, I'm choosing to say, I will forgive them. Make the choice. And watch the power of forgiveness work in your life. Maybe you're here today, and you've not yet started your life as a Christ follower. And I talk about forgiveness, you go, man, is it really true? Can I really be set free? Can I be, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't, but God does. And the the promise, the promise is we come to him and we surrender and he forgives. We embrace that grace that's ours from what Jesus did on the cross 
and we're, we're free. And if that's you today and you want to experience that forgiveness in your life, you're ready to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to pray this very simple prayer. And I'm going to ask you just to own these words, to make this your prayer right now. Father, forgive me. I have gone my own way. I've failed. I've made a mess of things. And I need your grace. I know those people around me are still broken. But God, right now, I, I own this. I own my own brokenness. I need you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. And today, I surrender my life, all of it, to you. Today, I make the decision to follow you and to walk in the forgiveness that you've made possible for me on that cross, Jesus. Thank you. Now, if that's you, that's your desire, whether you're sitting in this room or watching online, just say, yep, God, that's me. That's what I want. And the Bible says the moment you say yes to him, you become his child. And the Bible says that, and I know it seems mysterious, but that the Holy Spirit now will live inside of you. He'll empower you to change, to become that man or woman that he wants you to be. It's in that moment we say yes to him that everything changes. Lord, thank you for those that have said yes to you today. Show them as they leave this place today that now they belong to you and that you're going to walk with them every step along the way from this journey that they've started. But all of us, Lord, help us leave you today willing to, to walk with you in a lifestyle of forgiveness. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to finish with one last song. I love this song. It's a Christmas song. A little East Point twist to the end of it. But I want to encourage you to sing this with a focus on the one that we want to fix our eyes on no matter what. Because he gets it. He knows. We're going to take our offering. If you're a guest today, don't feel obligated to give. That's not why we wanted you to come. If this is your church home, I would encourage you to give to support what God's doing here. But we're going to give as we worship, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. Hey, a few things before you guys go. I want to encourage you. Next Sunday, we've got a special Christmas program. We've got the kids, and I'm going to be sharing a story. Going to wrap up this series and take a look at how to find true happiness and true joy in the midst of Christmas. encourage you to come. Uh, for you, those of you that are in town, but I tell you, our Christmas Adam on Tuesday night at 7, Christmas Eve on 4 and 6, going to be phenomenal. We're doing something we've never done before. And I'll just tell you, I don't want to give it away. It's going to be a visual immersion in something that's going to blow your mind. You know, great music, a great presentation, great gospel message, and about an hour service. Guys, invite people. If you invite them, they might come. If you don't, they probably won't. And we've got tons of these. We've printed up hundreds of these. They're on the tables. Take them. My wife handed out 20 this last week with cookies to all our neighbors. Please take these. Hand them out to coffee baristas. Hand them out. Sneak them in people's doors. I don't care. Find a way to invite them to come because they're probably going to go somewhere. And we want to encourage you to invite them to come here. We also need help still with Adventureland and connections. That light little table in the back. Guys, your service uh, in a service, whether it's an Adventureland, you can go to one, serve with your family at, at, at another one or helping us in connections, and that makes it possible for us to reach thousands of people for Christmas Eve services. So I know you think, well, there's plenty of people, somebody else to do it. No, we need you. Go back there and help sign up for that as well before you leave today. If you began your life as Christ follower, on those tables as well, packets is for new believers, got a Bible, matriculate starting walk with Jesus, please pick one of those up. We want to journey with you and this thing called the Christian faith. Prayer team will be down front. Any prayer? Communion is always available on the sides of the room. And here's my prayer for you this week as you go. I pray that you'll have lots of opportunity to practice forgiveness this week. How about that, huh? God bless you guys. Go.